You're listening to C-Store Talks. I'm Erin Del Conte, Executive Editor with C-Store Decisions Magazine. And for this podcast series, I am having conversations with women in convenience. But first, a word from our sponsor. Are your on-site managers losing hours every week to time-consuming workforce scheduling? Are your locations understaffed during busy periods? Are your associates calling out or quitting over scheduling issues? With AI-powered workforce management and employee self-service, Reflexus Workforce Scheduler eliminates inefficiencies in labor, budgeting, forecasting, and scheduling, simplifying your labor operations and unleashing the power of your on-site associates. To learn more, contact Reflexus Systems, now part of Zebra Technologies. You can also find them online at reflexusinc.com. That's R-E-F-L-E-X-I-S-I-N-C.com. So today we're here with Candace Clark, the Chief Financial Officer of Clipper Petroleum. Candace, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. So Candace, we are having conversations, as you know, uh, with Women in Convenience to talk about our experiences in the workplace, uh, you know, how far we've come, the work we still have to do, and some of the, the core issues that we're still dealing with today, maybe disproportionately. Uh, and, you know, the way I've been kind of framing the podcast is I, I've noticed that depending on what generation we're in, that can sometimes shape some of the experiences that we've had, you know, if we're a baby boomer versus Gen X or Gen Z or millennial or so forth. So uh, I am an older millennial. What generation are you a part of? I'm also an older uh, millennial. I turned 38 back in October, um, but I'm a proud older millennial. I know that our, our generation gets a bad rap quite a bit, but um, I'm proud to be from that generation. That generation has shaped a lot of what we're doing in business today. It's changed the landscape. A lot of millennials, you know, um, opened up in technology as far as, you know, Facebook and Twitter and um, all of that. So, that's really kind of changed the way we do things as far as social media goes and um, marketing. So, you know, that generation's done a quite a bit to, you know, put their stamp on, on business today. Yeah, I like what you say. We sometimes get a bad rap. I, I recently heard us older millennials referred to as geriatric millennials. Did you hear wow. that? <laughs> Um, That's to, so bad. <laughs> to distinguish us from all the, the younger millennials. Nice. Um, but so how do you feel that the time period where you came of age as an older millennial, how do you feel that that experience, um, being an older millennial, has shaped your experience as a woman in business? Um, you know, I came up in the generation where we had computers in the home. So that's just an ingrained part of my lived experience. Um, we're also part of the latchkey generation. So a lot of us pretty much raised ourselves for a good portion of our childhood. And so when you're from that generation, you know, you had, we had chores, we had, um, we had to have our homework done by the time our parents got off. So we had to be driven and we had to, um, be self starters and we had to take on a lot of responsibility at an earlier age. So I think that that has kind of served me well as a woman in business, um, this is also the part of the generation where the mothers were in large part going into the workforce more so than the generations before us. And um, because of that, I always knew that I would be a woman in business. I knew that I would be in the workforce. Um, you know, being a stay at home mom was never in 
a thought process of mine. I saw my mom go to work and that's what I assumed I would be doing. Um, so that's really kind of helped shape me. And because we've had computers, it was easy to adapt to the changing technology um, and the workforce. I know that some of the challenges that I've faced is being in the workforce and being, um, I guess you say a geriatric millennial. <laughs> um, that's so funny, but- um, Gotta just embrace it, right? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm like, wow, that's, that's wow. But, um, you know, I've also been able to help my staff that is, did not grow up with computers in the home. And especially during the pandemic, when this whole remote work thing, everyone was thrown into it. That was not something that we were set up to do as a company. We had to kind of throw it together. Um, and, you know, I had to go to my staff's homes to make sure that their computers were set up. They didn't know how to, you know, have their, their VPNs and, and dial in networks and getting their dual screens and, and viewing set up with their computers. So that was something that's obviously outside the landscape of, of finance or accounting, but it was something that was in my skill set um, that other of my team members didn't have because of the time that I grew up in. Yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying. I think that as, as older millennials, you know, because of when we grew up, we are kind of straddling those two worlds where we're not technically digitally native, although it, you know, it kind of came about when we were, you know, teens. So mm -hmm. we're pretty literal in all of that. So we kind of bridge the, the divide there between the generations as far as technology sometimes. Right. So what are some of the unique obstacles or issues that you think women specifically in your generation, you know, faced or are facing compared to previous or future generations? What's unique to, to our generation uh, when it comes to challenges that, that women disproportionately face? Um, I think the biggest one that we face is climbing the corporate ladder. Um, these were maps that were not laid out for us. A lot of us are doing these things for the first time in our families. And so the mentorship is, is not coming from home or your peers or, um, you know, people in your inner circle. You're not getting this type of education, you know, as you're growing up. Um, and so you're figuring out for the first time, how to navigate these things. Um, you know, I mentioned that my mother was in the workforce, but she was a secretary, you know, um, an, you know an office worker or a sec secretary, but she never knew to aspire to be more than that. And I don't even know if she wanted it. You know, she really just wanted to be able, you know, to add to the home finances, but she really wanted to be able to be there for her children. So, she was not interested in staying late and working on different projects or volunteering for things that would take her away from her home life. So she's not someone that I can go to to kind of help me navigate as I'm advancing in my career. Um, so I'm really having to develop a network outside of that. So being part of professional organizations, um, you know, getting on online groups for other women that are striving to do the same things. So you really happen to seek outside and be very intentional about building your network and who you learn and grow from. Yeah, sort of building your own network, uh, yeah. just paving your, your own way and finding those people on your own. Correct. So that, that's been, um, I think that's a, a, unique, a unique challenge uh, to our generation. And then also, obviously the duality of being a working mother, you know, or um, 
having to decide when do you start a family? At what point do you grow your career and have them later in life? So these are things that I don't think the generations before us ever considered when they were going to have a family, how it affected their career. That was nothing they, they, they had to think about, you know, because um, like I said, my mom had her kids and she was going to go to work, but she it was not going to interfere with, you know, raising her children. But, you know, women of our generation and definitely the, the ones coming after us are definitely having to consider at what point in my career am I going to start a family? You know, do I build my career first and and then, you know, have children later on in life? And or do I have my children early and get the child rearing and then gear up later on, uh, you know, in my development? So those are kinds of things I think also that we have to consider while we are advancing and growing our careers. And such a, you know, a challenging thing to figure out, you know, because there's so many variables. How would either affect you? Yeah. Will, will you do it early and then will your, you know, career fail to progress or will right. you do it later and destroy what you've built? It's just, it's a, it's a challenging thing for, for many Correct. people in our generation. So when did you first join the convenience store industry and when did you start at Clipper Petroleum? Okay, so I started in the convenience store industry back in 2010. I actually was working for um, Outback Steakhouse. A lady had hired me there right out of college. That was my first job and my first entrance into the corporate world. Um, and when she left, she left to go to a convenience store uh, industry back in Tampa, Florida, and she asked for me to go with her. So I also uh, quit my job at at Outback and joined her into the convenience store industry and I've been here ever since. Uh, I love it and uh, you know she was such a great mentor to me and you know she gave me my first opportunity right out of college. She also took me with her when she went somewhere else and um, gave me my first opportunity into leadership. She you know really poured into me and I, I think I have a lot um, that I owe her for doing things like that for me. Was that in 2010, was that Clipper Petroleum that you no, joined? No, that was the Radiant Group. I didn't come to Clipper until 2015. So that was when me and my husband decided to kind of relocate. I'm actually from the Georgia area. Okay. And I had been living in Tampa ever since I left college. So we decided to come back because we had small children and uh, wanted to raise our kids around family. So we ended up relocating uh, back to the Georgia area. And that's how I landed um, here at Clipper with the Bauer family. So when you look back a, a bit about your early experiences in the industry, mm -hmm. can you give some examples of, of what that were like for you? For example, were you part of a, a diverse group of women? Um, were there specific challenges that you were sort of facing as you navigated your career in convenience? What, what was that experience like for you? Um, it's interesting that you say that. There, when I first got into the convenience store business, um, there was a steep learning curve because things are just so different and nuanced, uh, you know, in, in, in the convenience store industry. So there was a big learning curve trying to transfer my skills from the restaurant business to the convenience store business. Um, there, we did have a lot of ladies in the accounting department, but that's kind of really where it ended. And that, you know, seems to be what happens. You have a lot of ladies in accounting, but then once you get to leadership level or management level, those seem to be dominated by men in this industry, especially. So that was something that was a little different to, to navigate is that you didn't see a whole lot of women in leadership and, and in higher roles. So, so that was a challenge. And then um, 
I'm trying to find the best way to, to speak about this delicately, but when when you're in the convenience store industry, you have, especially on the wholesale side, there's a bunch of different demographics that are owners, you know, in on the dealer side of, of gas stations or owners and operators that you supply fuel for. And sometimes there can be a culture difference as far as, um, you know, who they talk to and who they respect and how you can communicate with them. And so sometimes, you know, they had a preference to, to deal with men. And so you would, you know, you would be the one preparing the, the reports and um, presentations and things like that, but you weren't allowed to sit at the table or be in the meeting because, uh, you know, the client requests that. So that was something that was extremely... Sounds um, very frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> You're doing yes. all the work and you have all the information, but somehow yeah. you're not supposed to sit there. Yeah. Yes. So that was, you know, really um, new for me and um, something that I had to kind of work through uh, in, in the business. Um, so what are some other obstacles or issues that you feel that uh, that women in your generation are facing today? So some other obstacles, I think, you know, breaking that glass ceiling or being invited to have to have, have a seat at the table. The C-Store industry is vastly dominated by men. There are a lot more women that are breaking into uh, leadership and management and C-level uh, positions, but it's definitely a rarity. And I think we have a lot more work to do there to invite women into that space. And an extension of that, also minorities, you know, there. Absolutely. How have, so, you know, how have you seen the millennial generation sort of trying to edge things forward when it does come to female and minority inclusion and, and inclusion of voices in, uh, in the workforce? Oh, yeah. I think that the millennials have definitely tried to break into spaces that weren't designed for them. You know, um, they had to create and make sacrifices that maybe our male counterparts don't have to do. And so, you know, making sacrifices, you're having different types of childcare available, you know, using the village to help you raise your children or lean more on your partner or spouse so that you can work late, that you can go to business dinners, that you can go to lunches. And, you know, when you make time for that, obviously your work, your day-to-day -day work kind of falls behind. So you have to stay late to get you know caught up so that you can still participate in those meetings and still get your work done so you're having to do a lot more to break into these roles and have a seat at that table and to be visualized throughout your corporation and other corporations uh, and vendors that you you meet with so i think that that's important that millennials are doing that work where we're, you know, finding ways um, into those positions so that people around us and, and women in the generations behind us, you know, see us there. It's mm -hmm. easier to do something that you've already seen done before. It's much harder to, to create that path there where it never existed. Absolutely. And in speaking with, with a younger millennial for a previous podcast, uh, you know, she was talking about how, 
you know, just in, in looking to, you know, what companies she wants to work with, it really is a big thing to her to see, you know, women in those positions, to see someone who looks like her in those positions. So mm -hmm. she knows that that's a company where that's obtainable for her. Right. And, uh, and so, yeah, I agree with what you say. A lot of older millennials and, and Gen X are working to, to create that for the yeah. generation behind them. So what do you think are some areas where we still really need to improve as an industry in terms of inclusion? I think the, the lack of diversity for either by gender or by um, nationality or race is something that we really need to take seriously as an industry. And we need to be very intentional about correcting the disparity that exists there. It takes more work to do that. And it takes a um, dedicated and driven progressive mindset to do that kind of work and make it sustainable. And it's a continual effort. So it's not just, oh, I'm going to hire one person here. It's I'm going to continue to hire. I'm going to recruit from this demographic. I'm going to go to, you know, job fairs or whatever. You know, I'm going to set up at HBCUs. I'm going to do things that intentionally drive diversity into my company and into our industry. So I think that intentionality, and, and it does, it, it's, it's exhausting work, but it has to be done or we're gonna stay at the status quo where we're at. And so what do you think that, that convenience chains really need to do in order to ensure that they're hiring a more diverse workforce? Like you talked about a little bit, you know, going to uh, job fairs where you're gonna bring in different demographics. Um, but, you know, can you say more about how to attract a more diverse workforce as well as, you know, how to be more welcoming to mm -hmm. a diverse candidate pool? Because oh, yeah. we also have to have the right environment as well. Absolutely. Um, well, I think, you know, your first steps are hiring people in visual roles. You know, when they're in visual roles and people can see them, it makes a bigger difference when you're trying to reach out to a diverse demographic. You know, obviously not everybody's going to be comfortable going to set up a job fair at an HBCU, but it might be helpful if someone from your HR team, you know, is of a diverse background, you know, um, that might help you bridge the gap between the people that you're trying to attract to your company, you know, that ha might have a similar experience. Um, you know, it's kind of hard when, like a lot of times in my career, I would be the FOD. I'm the first, I'm the only, I'm the different. I'm in a meeting with 20 different people and I'm the only minority in the room. Um, you know, I might be one of three women in the room. So when you hire, you have to make sure that the, like you said, the environment is there and you have to be intentional about making sure that people are um, included and feel welcome and that you hear and you're, you're knowledgeable about the things that touch hard to them. Mm -hmm. um, I think this past year of 2020 was an extremely difficult year, not only for, um, for COVID and the pandemic, but there was a lot of racial tension that overlaid 2020 for our entire country for one reason or another. And, you know, you have to kind of step into the difficult conversation of, hey, how are you doing? How can I help? How can I be a support to you? You know, because there's emotional tension going on and outside of the office that people bring with them. And if they feel like, you know, I have to always be on or I can't bring my whole full self, 
to work, you know, um, they get exhausted and they would rather, you know, leave and go somewhere where they do feel comfortable um, because we spend a lot of time here at work. So you have to be able to have those kinds of conversations and, and step out and talk to um, the, your team members and continually educate yourself on matters that affect them in order to have that lasting long change in creating that environment that allows them to stay, thrive, and flourish. Absolutely. I like what you said about educating yourself uh, as a business uh, executive on those things and, and making sure you're creating that environment. And I also, what stood out to me was when you were talking about uh, bringing your whole self to work, because I think that's something that especially the millennial generation more so than generations before us really demands, yes. you know, it's, it's a new thing that, that uh, I think is, is sometimes foreign to some of the older generations that we expect to be able to show up as who we are yes. and, and you got to make room for us. <laughs> 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 we're going to, we're going to fight for that. So I yeah. like that you, that you said that. Um, so for the, the Generation Z women or the younger millennials who are listening today and, and watching, you know, what advice do you have for them or, or what do you wish you knew when you were first starting out in your career? The advice I give them is continue shattering, continue breaking the rules and continue showing up and demanding to be heard. Um, you know, take the baton. We're, we're getting as far as we can. We're we're opening up doors as much as possible, but you know, we want you to continue the race. There's still so much work to be done. And you know, when your paradigm shifting, it's not for the faint of heart. It's not for the weak or the non-committed. So, you know, we ask you, you know, to continue the fight, not only for your generation, but the generations that also come behind you. So that would be, you know, my advice to them. And then my I guess the advice I would have for my younger self, or I wish I had known, um, was like you said, it's okay to show up as your whole self. You know, um, it's exhausting to put on a different you while you're here for that long of a period of time and then go home and take it off. Um, you know, that's emotionally draining. I think our generation is much more aware about mental health and mental stability and um, wellness. And so that, that's something that I don't think that our, our, the generations before us really put into the forefront. I know when I was coming up, a lot of my family members were like, hey, when you show up at work, you're gonna do X, Y, Z, don't do this, don't do this. You don't talk about this. You come home, you show up, do your job, you go home. Don't interact, don't enmesh. And you know that's just A, not who I am. I'm an extrovert, I'm a very people-oriented person, um, you know, I'm a very feely. I love hard. I love, you know, interacting with people. I care deeply. And so that was extremely difficult for me to try to be someone else while I was at work. Um, and so I wish I had the permission earlier in my career to bring my whole self to work. Great advice. And hopefully the younger generations feel that permission today uh, more so than, than uh, older generations have felt. Right. Well, Candice, I really appreciate you taking the time and sharing some of your thoughts with us today. I hope you have a great rest of your week. Thank you. You too.